we come to the teaching portion in our service this morning, we are going to finish Philippians chapter 3. And we have a transition here, and I want to go quickly to our passage and read it, but just to remind us where we are in this letter, Paul has just spent quite a amount of time giving us a window into his own life and the impact uh, that his salvation uh, has had, uh, the impact of, that Christ's life has had on his life. And as he has opened up to his own value system, where he has uh, dismantled any kind of human honor, whether that be from the law or self-centered ambition, and he has said he counts all that as a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. And he has embraced the road and the posture of humility uh, that mirrors the road that Christ walked uh, instead of defending uh, his own honor, uh, trying to get glory for himself. And in that, he has just said, as we saw last week, that he has um, been vigorous at actually following uh, this, uh, the road of Christ, um, of embracing the road that he walked, of saying that he, um, that he will do everything in his power in order that he might um, attain and hold on to this great gift uh, that God has given him, uh, which, of course, he does in the power of the Spirit. So... Now when we come here to our passage, then we get to a transition where Paul, after he has finished talking about himself, he turns the tables back on the Philippians, and he is going to ask them and us through them to imitate his way of life as he imitates the life of Christ. So with that being said, let's go to our passage and read it. Um, I'll read uh, starting in chapter 3, starting in verse 17, and we'll go all the way through 4, chapter 1. And this is God's Word. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to start by asking a question um, that, what is it the most that you miss about being quarantined? Or being quarantined, what is the thing that even if it's a small, silly thing, what is it that you can't wait to go out uh, and do uh, once we're free? Uh, maybe this is something that you did miss. I know that some of the restrictions have been relaxed a little bit, uh, but certainly there's nothing we're doing normally, even still. So uh, I, was, I was thinking about that. You know, the, one of the things that the Clegg family really misses in this time? The Dollar General Store. The Dollar General has actually become an important part of life in the Clegg family household, and it is of great benefit to both our kids and to the parents. It is a great benefit to the kids because it is full of candy and toys, and everything only costs one dollar. So the possibilities of buying stuff are almost limitless. It's also been a great benefit for Lauren and I because because everything in there costs a dollar that you literally can, no matter how much money you make, you can walk into the general store and prance around like you are a king. 
and you can say, look at all of this stuff. Everything in this store. You can have whatever you want. Pick out one thing, and I will buy that for you. That feels kind of good. It feels kind of good to, uh, to be able to offer that. And it also reduces the clutter in your house because you know that it's only going to last for a day at most and then it's going to end up in the trash can. So it's instant thrill for the kids um, and it is also a thrill for the adults as well. So we miss the Dollar General store. But this is the, this is the real point that I'm trying to make is that the Dollar General has also created a little bit of a problem for the raising of our kids, particularly when it comes to helping them manage money. Because whenever they get a dollar from losing a tooth or from allowance or from you know, doing chores or that kind of thing, that they immediately want to go to the Dollar General and pick out something that they can buy. And it gets doubly difficult having multiple kids because when we encourage them to save their money, we encourage them to wait um, and hold out for something that is much more valuable, then inevitably you have this situation where one kid will actually say, okay, I do want to wait and I want to save my money. But another kid wants to go to the Dollar General and spend their money, and so they do. And they taste the glory of picking out whatever they want, getting that immediate thrill, and they bring it home and they show it to the kid who's saving money, and everything kind of breaks down. Because we know one of the just core things about being human is, um, and if you're a kid you're watching, then you can tell your parents this because you know it. Uh, from Daniel Tiger, it is really, really, really hard to what? To wait. It is really hard to wait. But it is even doubly hard to wait when those around you are actually cashing in on something now. They're getting some kind of taste, some kind of glory now that makes you feel a little bit insecure about the waiting. That maybe you're missing out on something uh, by holding out and by waiting for more. And so there's an immediate glory for the one who doesn't wait. And there's an immediate sense of shame for the one who does wait and who doesn't have an immediate cash in on their rewards. And why are we talking about this? Because this is... There's, I think there's a strong parallel in this illustration with, of what Paul knows about as facing the Philippian church. And that he has been talking about this, this posture of following Jesus that is, in many ways, it is characterized by waiting. And that one of the, the good news parts of the gospel is that what Christ has done, he has already done. His righteousness, uh, his glory, um, the inheritance that he has, it has already been given uh, and it has already been guaranteed uh, that it will be had in full in one day and we can enjoy that even now. But yet, as we await the fullness of that come one day, that the time right now is one awaiting. And Paul is saying that the Christian life um, is defined by what Christ has already given, but it is also defined by a road that is waiting, of not seeking our own glory now in our own way by however we might scheme in order to get it, but about entrusting our lives to Jesus, that he will raise us up, that he will give us glory in his own way, in his own time. And in many ways, uh, we don't see it now and we have to wait. But yet, there are so many ways around us. There are so many other schemes um, that we see of where getting an immediate taste of glory is possible. 
And so that creates a difficulty um, of, of trying to follow Jesus, of embrace the call of this life, um, knowing the situation in which we live. Paul knows this about the Philippians, and he is writing to warn them, um, and he is writing to instruct them. And there's two things, essentially, that he is giving um, that are very clear instructions here in the face of this issue. Um, one, he is writing, he wants to clearly articulate the value of what the Philippian church should be waiting for. And the same for us. As we are looking in on his letter to them, is the same value that we are waiting for. So what is the true value of what we're waiting for? But then the second thing is he is going to emphasize the importance of Christian community on that road. Um, this idea of imitation, the in-between while we are still waiting, um, and some of the help that God has actually given us in his mercy um, in order to spur us on in the meantime. So those are the two things we're going to look at. What is the true value that we're waiting for? And then how does Christian community actually fit uh, in that road uh, in the meantime? So starting with, you know, what's the value of what we're waiting for? And Paul is going to bring this out by way of contrast um, by two different types of glory, uh, two different ends um, that uh, this way of life um, ends in. Uh, the first way, if you'll look at verses 18 and 19, um, this first way of glory is they are described with this really vivid Im- imagery. He says they're um, those that walk as enemy of cross, the cross of Christ and their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And what does that mean that their God is their belly? I mean, my belly, I might act like a God sometime. Uh, it is certainly lazy and has a loud voice and is quick to crave and is very demanding. Um, but what this is illustrating is that it is this idea of craving, that there is this craving that wants an immediate satisfaction, an immediate relief of the desire. Um, and this can be, you know, bodily cravings. It could be lust. It could be gluttony, those kinds of things. But the things that Paul has been, you know, unpacking to this point in the letter I think really is this idea of glory. Uh, is the kind of glory that can be attained through the law, of through who you are, of through these good works uh, that you can accomplish. It is the kind of glory that comes from what he has been describing as selfish ambition, of making a name for yourself, of getting recognition, uh, even at the expense of other things. I mean, that can even be good things that are twisted, like respect or fitting in in a community. These are not bad things, but, but he is talking about them in, in, as it is possible to attain them, in a sense, on our own power, in an immediate sense, where Paul is actually calling on a waiting, of entrusting our lives ultimately to the glory that Christ is going to give, that we might be raised up by him at the right time in his way. So this, there is this immediate type of glory that ends in immediate satisfaction of desire, of appeasement of our fears, of giving us glory uh, where we feel like we are small, that kind of thing. And this is even more clarifying when he says that this is the opposite of the cross of Christ, that those who walk this way walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And what does that mean? You know, the cross is a symbol both for God's redemption that he accomplished for us, uh, that our righteousness is found in Christ's death and resurrection um, and not on our own, and that we receive it as a gift by faith. But the Christ is also a symbol of the power of God in the road that was walked by Jesus Christ, 
and that Christ's true glory and true power came not by um, attaining something or working out you know, his own glory in his own way, but by entrusting his life totally to his Father, by being willing to be taken advantage of, uh, by being living in the midst of a sinful, broken world, and yet holding out, um, trusting in his Father that he will do right by him in the end. So crosses, the cross is also this uh, pattern of humility uh, that is first characterized by Christ and that Paul has been um, seeking to apply even in his own life. Uh, it has its root in trust in the Father for glory above all other things. So it's this, he is describing this one, there's an immediate kind of glory uh, that is the opposite of humility, that is the opposite of trust, that is a self-focus and that is a self-empowerment and that there is, a, um, is about an immediate gratification of a desire for glory. And what's the end of this? Paul says that the end of this is they end up glorying in their shame. And we can see this in two ways. One, it could be you know, calling shameful things uh, glorious, knowing that they are shameful. But I think what this is meaning here in context is more like the things that they think are glorious. Uh, that when they are actually revealed for what they truly offer, it is sadly shame instead of glory. And this is, if we go back to the Dollar General illustration, that, you know, if you have a situation where one kid actually, you know, saves up, they save up their money for a long time, they, they don't, you know, spend their money at the Dollar General, and then they buy this wonderful, huge Lego set that they have had their eyes set on for a long, long time. And then when they finally get it, and then you look at the kid next to them uh, that continues to spend their money at the Dollar General, holding that, you know, that cheap dartboard in their hands that it's physically impossible to get the dart in the pegs. It doesn't even work, and it broke after the first day. There's this moment of realization that this actually wasn't worth it in the end that it provided an immediate gratification, but uh, when it's revealed as the true value it had in the end, it more brings this feeling of shame um, than it does glory. And I think that's what Paul is trying to show here, that this kind of glory, this immediate gratification of our need, um, is actually one of shame instead of glory. So that's the one option we have. Um, and that's the one end of the one option, to seek our own glory and to attain it in our own way. But then there's this second way to glory, and which is characterized by Paul and his companions um, and those that are like him that follow this same path. So we've been saying is that these who know Christ and have actually embraced uh, by faith um, this humble posture of waiting for him to provide righteousness, waiting for him to provide honor, waiting for him to provide justice, waiting for him to make things right in the end. It is a fully entrusting of our lives, not into ourselves and what we can get for ourselves, but what we can only be received from Jesus, the honor and glory that he gives as a gift. And that impacts both in what we hope for um, and what we live for, um, you know, the present nature of our life even now. And I do want to say, you know, it says here, I want to define this, that, you know, as this one group, they set their minds on earthly things 
And the other group um, is characterized by citizenship in heaven and from heaven uh, we await glory. And that could mean, we could take that to mean that the things of earth, um, the physical things, uh, the nature of a creaturely life, that these are all bad. And that's not actually what Paul means by earthly. Um, you know you know the phrase, probably have heard it, uh, an accusation leveled to Christians that Christians are often too heavily, heavenly minded to do any earthly good. Um, and, you know, in a lot of ways that might be true. But that's not what Paul is speaking about. He is not saying that the things of earth are bad. But he is talking about this posture of waiting and where true glory comes from. He is, it is about entrusting of a life, um, how we live it now as creatures on earth and what we hope for um, in order to bring an ultimate sense of glory. And so what does this look like? What does this glory look like? And these are, you know, this is in just these two verses, this is really wonderful uh, things. Look at verses 20 and 21. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. And what do we see here? We see here not just a belly God, not just, you know, a body that craves and that constantly wants satisfaction, but a glorious body that is like Christ. That is the kind of satisfaction of being made new in every element of our being, being in harmony with what is around us and with God our Father. This, this, it is the most human, most glorious way of living that we can hope for. This is ultimate healing. This is the ultimate kind of uh, satisfaction uh, that we might long for. But it's also not isolation or rejection, even though we might feel that often in life now. But there is a, the, from heaven, it's not just a reward, but we await a personal Savior. That from heaven is the person of Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us so we could be in relationship with him. That he is actually personally coming to us. There's a, a relationship that will be fully restored, even physically and bodily, that is now uh, distant, though we are connected to him through the Spirit. And so there is an honor uh, that the Savior of, of the world will come and extend to us that invitation personally to be in his fellowship. And there is that fullness of relationship that we ache for and long for even now. And then also... This is not shame, but this is actually glory that comes from grace. And don't miss that when Jesus comes, that he will transform our lowly body into a glorious body like him. That when he comes, it doesn't mean that our lives will be right. It doesn't mean that our bodies will be healed. It doesn't mean that we will have arrived to some extent, that we have something to show God that he will allow us into his presence. But this is a moment of redemption as a gift, that when this Savior comes, he will see us open it openly, intimately, and he will extend to us the full end of his grace of making us where we cannot heal ourselves completely new. And not only that, but when he comes, of uh, being on the right side, that when he subjects all things to himself, that this will be, that even our lives will be included in this good. And so the, is the complete opposite of holding on to something that seems glorious and then in the end it being revealed to be shame. 
but is actually embracing this path that even now sometimes looks like shame. But in the end, it will reveal to be more glory than you and I can even imagine. And what Paul wants us to see is remember what is coming. Remember that the grace we have been given is not the end of the story, but there is a true glory that is guaranteed and there is coming, and it is worth waiting for. It is worth any kind of giving up of anything, um, even in this life, uh, that we could give up. It is worth everything. And how does this relate to us? Well, like I said in the beginning, that we, we are all in a situation of waiting, and waiting is hard. We have broken bodies, we have broken relationships, we have broken souls, and uh, it's hard to wait. And there are so many cheap promises of glory that is all around us. You know, we get tired of being unknown and irrelevant and lonely. And then we have an Instagram persona that is just waiting uh, to be poured into. I know I knock on Instagram a lot. Instagram is not a bad thing. It's just a, it is a a ripe medium to try to fill up something um, that we feel is lacking. You know, we could live for attention, those kinds of things. You know, there was a time in my life I thought being a rock star would solve all of my problems and then life would be good. Uh, Thankfully, the Lord had mercy upon me. You know, we get tired of not getting our way and manipulation seems better. We get tired of being done wrong. Retaliation seems better. We get tired of people letting us down and getting rid of all of our friends and getting new ones seems better. We get tired of waiting for a faithful spouse and we just settle for what we can get. We get tired of not living our dreams and we rack up debt. We get tired of having messy kids and so we resort to control them, especially when we see other kids. There are all kinds of ways. We live in a world that is full of other imitations of glory when the true precious glory that is our Savior coming to us is there waiting. So what do we do with that? You know, that's the lion's share of this, what Paul is, is trying to show us is the value of this world, but the, of, this, um, of what is to come, the waiting, and to remember what we are waiting for. But yet, there is another point that we, we, we would be remiss to not notice, and that is this importance of community while we are waiting. And this will be a quick point. And that... As we said in the opening illustration, the seeking of glory doesn't just happen individually. It doesn't just about cravings that happens inside of us, but all of this happens inside of a community. And that we are all glory seekers, and we are all naturally imitators. And we are surrounded not only by options of glory, but we are surrounded by people, even in our, even a lot of ways ourselves, who actually cash in on that. And we are in an environment that is, even by peer um, pressure, peer involvement, is leading us um, to not wait, but to cash in on glory now. But so Paul is saying this, there's a community aspect. He says here in 317, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Why does he say this? Because he knows with the influence of the community on us that there is an importance of actually picking and choosing who we are influenced by. We are all influenced by those around us. We all naturally imitate those who are around us. And the ones that we will likely most be drawn to imitate, they will likely be the loudest voices. 
They will likely be the most anxious voices, and they will likely be the ones who appear to have the most glory even now. And yet, there are other voices that are a great help along the way that might not be as noticed, and they might not seem as glorious, um, and they might not be the ones we are immediately drawn towards. However, if God is at work with all this power to subject all things to himself, he is at work in the lives of us. He is in the lives of those around us. And Paul wants us to be proactive about what we imitate and who we imitate. And I just want to give us a few, this is just real practical advice um, to actually evaluate and consider what is important to us and who we are imitating. Is not saying that we should not surround ourselves with people we think um, are, you know, leading us astray. It's about a, a conscious, a critical, you know, ability to evaluate what is really important and to really identify people that um, we want to imitate, that show this pattern of Christ's work in our lives in humility rather than in immediate glory. And here's, you know, one person I imitate is my wife, and I'll tell you why. There was a time when, um, at the end of seminary, we thought that our youngest son, Emmeth, uh, was going to have Down syndrome. We took a test, and it said that it was almost certain that he did. And it was as it was difficult to process, she, much quicker than I did, um, um, embraced the sadness, and she got on um, Instagram, and she started following other families that had kids with Down syndrome. And what was apparent in their lives is that there was something much more valuable than just a comfortable um, and from an outward perspective, um, just clean life. But there are those that through weakness and through disappointment in some ways actually met a person that was they truly fell in love with and who changed their lives for the better through humility and not through an immediate glory. And it was very encouraging. And she still follows some of these people even today, even though it turns out that he did not have Down syndrome. But there are the people uh, that we might not notice first, but that the Lord is actively, actively in their lives by bringing them low so that he can raise them up in Jesus. I've mentioned before reading Henry Nowen. This can come from people. This can come from books and not just books that fill up our head, but books where people you know, put their lives on display to show how Jesus has worked in them. You know, Henry Nowen, he was a premier academic, and he gave up everything and went to live in a community for uh, disabled people, and it radically changed his life. You know, you can read people like uh, Francis Schaeffer or Jack Miller, who um, came to real crises, crises in their spiritual walk, and through their humility, the Lord built them up in a much different way, a much more humble way. There are all kinds of people like this, but Paul wants us to see, even very practically, that the community is important, and the community is a gift, and that actually being critical about what is truly valuable in our life, our lives, um, and who we are imitating, what the attributes we are imitating is crucial. It is crucial in this waiting, that it can be, the community can be our biggest support, or it can be uh, the biggest hindrance, the biggest sort of hardship and anxiety for us as well. Red Mountain Church, there is a long road ahead for each one of us. Uh, many twists and turns. We don't know what, um, how the Lord is going to bring death into our lives and how he is going to extend us the gift of resurrection. 
but we are all doing this together, awaiting a Savior. And that we, are, we, uh, we, we do this in hopes that our Savior is coming, that we are waiting on Him, uh, that, tr- that His value is far more than we can ever imagine. And so what Paul wants us to, to wrestle with here, and he wants to pronounce to us here in this last verse, is that us, like the Philippians whom he loves and longs for, his joy and crown, that we would stand firm thus in the Lord. We would stand firm in hope. That we would lean into each other, imitate the way of life of the Spirit, which is a total hope on Christ and his gift, and not us. And so that's our prayer. As we, that's my prayer for you. I hope that's your prayer for me, um, for us as a community, that we truly would see the value and that Christ would lead us to see the value of, of what we are waiting for, but that he would work in our midst, and that we would support each other along the way. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for uh, this good news and this good gift. Uh, we pray that you would do this, that you would uh, give us hope in your spirit that is focused on Christ, and that we would spur each other along along the way to continue to persevere for that which is truly valuable. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.